0: Gracious God, we admit that we are not always in tune with what you are doing. Our hearts wander. Our minds wander. We let our loves chase after things that we ought never to even consider. And so now we need your spirit's help to correct our minds and our hearts as we come to your word. Would your word be filled with life as we look at its message today? that we might be changed people as we leave here by the power of your Spirit, not by any strength of ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text today is Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. Please turn there in your Bibles with me. Today we'll be looking at the kingdom that Jesus has been building in the book of Mark, and we will take a moment to focus in on the King himself. Hear God's word from Mark chapter four, starting in verse 26, and we'll read through verse 34. And he, that is Jesus, said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. You younger folks may not know this song, but Cats in the Cradle about a man who was busy with so-called important things, and so he missed his son growing up and missed a relationship with his son. The song opens like this. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And then the chorus says, and the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. By the time the narrator of this song retired and slowed down, he realized he didn't know his son, and his son didn't know him. He missed perhaps one of the most important things in his life because of his momentary missed priorities. In Jesus's parables today, we'll see that there are some people who go about their lives doing such so-called important things that they miss the single most important thing about reality, knowing Christ and seeing his kingdom grow, being with him in his kingdom. And so many people miss it because they are so-called busy. We have two parables today. Jesus has told five parables about the kingdom of of God, and these are the last two. In these last two parables, we will see, and this is our, our structure for today first, the unassuming kingdom. Second, the unimpressive kingdom. And third, the unrecognized king. The unassuming kingdom, the unimpressive kingdom, and the unrecognized king. Let's look at the unassuming kingdom, and this comes from the parable of the seed growing. In this parable, much like the parable of the soils, man's job is to scatter the seed. And the focus is not on whether or not the soil will receive the seed in this parable. The focus is on the growth. There's the sowing of the word. This is the word of God, which is given out to to men. And then there's the growing. And this parable really focuses in on the process of growth. We've got the blade, we've got the ear, and then the full grain in the ear, and then it's ripe And then there's a harvest. The sowing is man's role. The growing is God's job. All that is needed for the growth of the kingdom is God's word. And when man plants it, God waters it and grows it. And he sovereignly guides the growth of his word as it goes out and as it is received by soil, by people, by people like you and me. And we know that this is not man's job to grow it because this parable, in this parable, Jesus says, the man knows not how the grain sprouts and grows. It, just, it seems from man's perspective that the earth just does it all by itself. But we know this is God's sovereignty guiding the growth of his word as we hear it and as we speak it. And Isaiah 55 tells us about the power that God's word has in and of itself, independent of who teaches it. Isaiah 55 says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And in Romans 1 Paul reminds us that the gospel is the power of God. This word is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If we add to the gospel, we detract from its power. To say that it's not enough and we need to add something to it is to say that it's not enough. I've heard it said that a good steak doesn't need steak sauce. Some of you could probably confirm that for me. If you put, if you go to a nice steak restaurant and you ask for some A1, they will probably be insulted. You're betraying your poor palate and that you don't think the steak is good enough on its own. And so many people try to take the gospel and add steak sauce to it. They don't think that the word of God is sufficient, but it is sufficient for salvation. We don't need to add flourished speech or showy amusements, and we don't need to make it more exciting or anything else. Let's not insult the gospel by adding a message of self-help or culture transformation or accommodation or approval of sin. Let's preach Christ and him crucified. This is the power. This is the seed that goes out, that God guides and grows This is good for me to hear as a pastor, as a preacher. There's relief in this. I don't yield the fruit. I don't yield the fruit in this church. This is Christ's church. This is his word. It is his spirit at work. And the growth that happens here is entirely and completely his. My job is to be faithful to sow the seed. Paul says it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. My sermons are folly sometimes. Everyone has elements of it. There were debates between the followers of Apollos and the followers of Paul in the early church. Listen to what Paul says about that. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. You know, this is how it is when you minister to your friends and your family and your neighbors. It's God who gives the growth. Anytime that we speak the truth of the gospel and people hear it, God is guiding the growth. Isn't there a, re- a relief in that? Letting go of the results, realizing that how people respond is not up to us. It's not about getting the sales pitch right. When I was in seminary, I heard about this book from, I think it was back in the 80s. It would guarantee you a conversion if you followed these steps. If you're having a conversation with somebody, you put your hand on their shoulder at just the right time, pressure at the right moment. When you say the right words, guaranteed conversion. Folks, I don't know what kind of power that is. That's not real power. That's manipulation. That's not depending on God's word. We place all the control in God's hands. And we depend on Him. And you know what that means? That means we have to be patient. As we rise and we lie down every day, we get up and we do go about our jobs and we lie down. We know God is working. God is doing what He does, He is growing those seeds and those grains. And as we do this, we need to do so as we sow the word, we need to do so with expectation, confident expectation, with real hope, not wishful thinking, because we know that those who God calls will come by his word proclaimed. And so really it ends up falling out of our hands. Our job is just to be faithful and then to trust in his work and to trust in the power of the word because these are the means that he has given. Our job as Christians is simply to trust the means of his word that he's given, to scatter it faithfully, knowing that his word does not return void. At the end of this parable, we see that there's a harvest. It says when the time is ripe, when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. To put in the sickle is an Old Testament analogy for the end when Christ comes, the day of judgment, Christ judges the world. The kingdom is growing and growing, and there's going to be a time when judgment comes for everybody. And nobody knows when the end is coming. This parable doesn't tell us when the end is coming. We can't expect the timing to fit any human prediction. No one knows the day or the hour, as Jesus says. But the sad part is many don't even know that the end is coming. Many don't even know that judgment will come. It will come as a complete surprise to those who have not been watching the growth of the kingdom That is, those who are not in the kingdom, those who miss what God is doing. They don't see it happening. They go about their busy lives and they don't notice the seeds sprouting. They don't see as they drive down the road. They don't look out their window and see it growing into the blade and then into the ear and then into the grain in the ear. Like cats in the cradle, the dad's missing the son, learning to walk, missing playing Catch. For those of you who have traveled the same route regularly for years, you ever passed that building, just, you never knew what was going on until one day somebody told you, like, that's what that building is. I had no idea that's what goes on there. Now, all of a sudden, your mind is kind of different as you drive by that building next time. You, you kind of know what's going on in there. You say, that's what this has been the whole time. That's what the world does with the church. It just drive right by. They don't really know what's going on. They can't really hear it. That's what happens when the world drives, and walks right by our homes, where discipleship is happening, where the word is being taught. And they pay no attention to the word being preached. And they miss the fellowship and the spiritual rich- richness that we share. The world misses it all. And the last day will come. That judgment day will come like a thief in the night. So then let's be faithful to scatter the seeds so that they might know. Let's tell them the truth of this message of Jesus Christ so that God might bring growth in their hearts because the harvest will come and it will be a day of great anguish for many. But for those who are in Christ, it will be be a day of great rejoicing for those who are on the side of righteousness because of what Christ has done. It's an unassuming kingdom, but the harvest will come. It's also an unimpressive kingdom, and we see this in the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus starts in verse 30. He says, and with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The kingdom of God is like the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Now, people will point out that technically, scientifically speaking, there are smaller seeds than the mustard seed. The point does not change. In fact, it was one of the, if not the smallest known seed to that part of the world. And the mustard seed was really more a colloquial, a proverb for something tiny. Jesus even says, if you have faith, the size of a grain of a mustard seed, the emphasis is on the fact that the mustard seed is very tiny and very unimpressive. But the point is that from the world's perspective, when they see the kingdom of God as this tiny mustard seed, they do see it as the smallest of all the seeds on earth. They'd much rather follow any other king than to follow this King and his tiny, unimpressive kingdom. They call the church the crutch of the emotionally unstable. It's a feel good talk for those who can't figure out life on their own. It's foolishness to the world. And the last thing they want to do is submit to it because it dethrones them and it exposes their weakness. I want to read to you an excerpt here from Pilgrim's Progress. There's a man in Pilgrim's Progress who encounters, his name is Shame, and he encounters this other character named Faithful. And here is what we know about Shame, this man from the world who is insulting Faithful's faith. Shame objected to religion itself. He said it was a pitiful, low, sneaking business for a man to consider religion. He said that a tender conscience is an unmanly thing and that I would be the object of ridicule if I watched over my words and ways and did not allow myself the liberties to which the brave spirits of the times accustom themselves. He also observed that not many mighty, rich, or wise are of my opinion. He also was quick to point out that most of the pilgrims are disreputable, powerless, and poor. He said that those who follow the way are out of step with the times in which they live, proving their ignorance and lack of understanding in all natural science. Yes, shame. Mr. Shame railed against many things. For example, he said it was a shame to sit regretful and mournful under a sermon and a shame to come home sighing and groaning. He thought it a shame to ask my neighbor's forgiveness for petty offenses or to make restitution when I had taken away something that belonged to another. He said that religion estranges men from the company of great men who will tolerate vices, which he called by fine respectable names. And religion makes them respect base sin because of their religious fraternity. The world does not have a high view of what we do here. The world calls us unimpressive tiny and miserable. Thank God that we are the poor and the downcast and that he welcomes us and that he loves us. Look what happens to this kingdom that is so unimpressive. It grows up, this parable says, and it becomes larger than all the garden plants. The kingdom of God will prove to be superior to any other kingdom. Every kingdom on this earth will bow to our God When Christ comes and every knee bows and every tongue confesses in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. On that day, all those who scoff at the church will see our hope and the salvation offered in Christ. And it may be too late for us if we wait until that day. Let's not wait until that day to bow the knee to the Savior, to this unimpressive king. And this, what's going to happen in the end is not just true for us if we believe it. So often the world says, well, that's your truth. You can believe that. This is objectively, universally, eternally true, whether or not you want to admit it. Jesus will reign. Jesus' kingdom will cover the whole earth and the pride of the earth will be put to shame. And when this kingdom grows, it doesn't just put to shame the world. It also becomes a refuge. Jesus says this mustard bush tree puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This kingdom is going to be a refuge for people from all nations. Birds nesting in the branches of this kingdom. This is also Old Testament language for inclusivity of Gentiles. Nesting in the branches is a sign of refuge and a respite from trials, and it's a sign of flourishing. Listen specifically to how Ezekiel puts it. He says in Ezekiel seventeen twenty three, On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and I make high the low tree. I am the Lord, I have spoken and I will do it. God is going to establish his kingdom and welcome those from all nations to come in and to find life. Let's get a glimpse into what that's gonna look like in the future. John had a vision in Revelation 7 of what this will look like. He says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. I look forward to that day. People from all nations, tribes, languages gathered together more than we can count worshiping our God. That's what this little tiny mustard seed is going to turn into. What a hope that we have. The world cannot share this hope with their kingdoms. What an honor to get to be a part of this currently unassuming and unimpressive kingdom. I look forward to that last day when Christ appears. All right, I, I hope this doesn't um, frustrate or anger anybody, but I'm going to change the way you view a song. Joy to the World. We sing it at Christmas time. This song was written not as a Christmas song, but as a song of Christ's second coming. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And then the next verse, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Verse 3, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. And lastly, verse 4, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. So next time you sing that song, you might be frustrated that it's in December. But remember, it's still our hope that we have that Christ will come again and it will be joy to the world. We could finish now. We could be encouraged that this kingdom is coming, but what we really need to do is not skip verses 33 and 34. Because verses 33 and 34 tell us about the king. We would be terribly lacking if we didn't see the king at work in these parables, establishing his kingdom unrecognized to the very ones that he is speaking them to. So let's look at the unrecognized king. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus has continued to use parables. And they heard it as they were able. Some were able and some were not. Jesus is highlighting and Mark is highlighting as he tells these parables, the fact that there are insiders and there are outsiders. There are those who understand and there are those who do not. There are those who have faith and there are those who do not have faith. And at this very moment that Jesus is telling these parables, he is the man sowing the seed and it is taking root in many. And God is guiding the growth and the kingdom is growing. And so many walk right by and miss it. The kingdom is growing here in Christ's ministry. Some remain hardened, though, unable to see it. They go about their busy lives, so-called important business. Specifically, the Pharisees here are defending their powerful grasp on their societal power. But that doesn't change the fact that the kingdom was growing, that God was guiding it, that the seed was taking root, and the word was bearing fruit. Let's not be the people who pass right by, see the crowd on the hillside and say, that looks fun, maybe another day. Let's be people who hear, who hear Jesus. When we hear it today, does it harden our hearts or does it break us down? Do we submit to it or do we build up our defenses against it? Says, Mark tells us that privately to his own disciples, Jesus explained everything. Who gets the special pass backstage? Who gets to hear the explanation? Every single one of those birds who nests in the all-encompassing branches of the kingdom of God. Anyone who comes, anyone who knocks, The door will be opened whoever comes to me i will never turn away jesus says go sit with jesus be with him your presence with him is what leads to understanding you don't have to get enough facts right in order to understand who god is you have faith that leads to understanding the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is insight And as Jesus is teaching these things, he is explaining to those who are willing to sit with him and listen and humbly be his student. And he is patient. He is so patient to work with people like them and to work with people like us. That he would help us understand as hard-headed as we are and as hard-hearted as we are. He has condescended to us and spoke to us so that we might know him. He intentionally equipped the disciples and gave them the ability to preach the word. To grow the kingdom. And we see how slow they were to get it. And we are just as slow. You know, that's exactly what the parables described here patient Savior with unimpressive, slow disciples. And the whole course of history is being radically overturned in front of their very eyes, and many don't see it. This is the truth of the world, brothers and sisters. The kingdom is being built. The harvest of judgment will come, and Jesus will reign over all it's important for you and me to know this isn't just something to look forward to. This is something we can look back at because Christ has built this. In what Christ did in his life and in his death and his resurrection, he has built his kingdom and done everything needed for his people to come in. The Pharisees saw it, acted out in front of them, and we get to read it in front of our very faces. Let's not miss it. The suffering servant countered the powers of his day the spiritual powers of darkness, and he triumphed. He took on the sins of every single one of his people, and he successfully bore the wrath deserved for our sins. He bore the mockery and the scorn that the world poured out upon this tiny seed of the kingdom of God. They didn't see what was happening, and so Jesus prayed, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he bore the eternal punishment that our sins deserve. He died. And then when he rose... He sealed the fate of Satan and all those who are aligned with Satan and he secured life for all who rest in him, for all who, take, who make a nest under his wings in the shade of the branches of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The king has been at work. To miss him is to miss the kingdom entirely. Let's not miss the king or else we'll miss the kingdom. What do we do? First, we need to be thoughtful. We need to be, we need to consider. We need to be reflective. What kind of showy or great seed are you banking on? The kingdom of God seems tiny and unimpressive, even to us sometimes as we're in it. What kind of passions are we chasing that we hope will have longevity and bring fruit in the end? I personally don't have a green thumb except somehow with grass. I can get grass to grow but I cannot take care of any plant that requires more than occasional water. Death is almost guaranteed for any seed under my care. And that's how it's going to be with every earthly passion that we plant. It will die. Every kingdom that we try to chase and build here. It's just a sandcastle doomed to be washed away. I see my heart chasing so many things besides God's kingdom. I need this reminder to consider the true kingdom. I need to reflect on where I let my heart go. What do you do with your time? What do you do with your wallet? What do you do with your loves? What do you do with your mind? Only the seed of the kingdom of God will last. Let's bank it all on that. And let's believe in this Jesus. Let us again turn to him, the only one who can build a kingdom that will not fall. And he has built it and he has welcomed us in. And we get to have share in the spoils of Christ's plunders if we trust that he alone is enough And we get to come and sit under His teaching. We get to come and be His disciples and His students and His friends to whom He explains the mysteries of the kingdom. Don't neglect that privilege. Trust this God who is at work. Obey and trust that we will see fruits. And then for those who have trusted in Him, be grateful. I think we so often overlook the heart condition of gratitude. For those who have trusted him, you're growing in grace. Your job is to be grateful. I so often find myself discontent and jealous and envious. Let's be grateful instead. Let's remember all that Christ has given to us, all that he freely offers to us. Let's see the victory he has won. Let's see the reign that he has promised. This reign that is already but not yet, and we wait for its completion. Let's rest in him. Let's stop our striving. Let's be thankful for the gift of life that he has earned. God is sovereign. He is growing his kingdom and he is growing you and he is growing me. Let's trust him for that. The fact that he has carried us to this church tonight is a part of the way that he's caring for us. And where he takes you tomorrow is a part of the way that he is growing you. So let us say thank you to him. It's an unimpressive kingdom. It's an unassuming kingdom. The king is unrecognized by many. But we get to see the secrets as Jesus explains them to us. Thank God for his spirit at work in us. Thank God for the message of Jesus. Let it be the only thing we bank our hope on.